And happy Mother's Day to you. I'll tell you what, I'm going I'm to wish you a happy Mother's Day, but first, man, moms, you are so special, and God has such a unique role for you on this planet, but there is no one like our God. There is only one name that we will exalt this morning, and that will be the name of Jesus. All right, so happy Mother's Day, and I know that will echo and resonate with you moms because you have one passion for your children is that they would know our God, and you want to show that God to them in every way you can. So I hope you enjoy our small gift uh, and that you're edified by the letter in the bottle later, and that you have a lot of things to think through and discuss on that at Kahului Baptist Church. And, and at all the churches, we want to encourage, we want to raise up mothers who are Christ-centered, biblical heavyweights that would take on Mayweather and anybody else for the kingdom of God. Lionesses, soft and fluffy on the outside, but by no means weak or dainty. Women who are passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ, your influence on this planet is massive. Massive. Your ability, your ability, I'm getting my timer out here so I know when to be quiet. Amen. Your ability to influence the nations, to shake the nations for the glory of Christ by raising up children who are passionate about Jesus and knowing God, your ability to influence and change the world through that endeavor is unparalleled. Motherhood is a precious gift and calling. It's a calling to tell and proclaim the word of Christ, to truly raise up a disciple of Christ. So the scars you bear in your body, the, the pain of being hot and sweaty and swollen ankles and all this good stuff that I'll never understand will be more than worth it when you are revealed in glory with Jesus. Amen. Strive. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's necessary. It's important. All right, so happy Mother's Day. Thank you for coming. And whatever your reason for being here, Mother's Day, maybe you're just here to worship the Lord as you, as you come week in and week out members, or you're just here for another reason. God is seeking you. He's seeking after you. You have your reasons for being here. God has his reasons for having you be here. I pray you'll hear that. This morning. We'll be in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and Genesis 15, 1 through 7. So get your Bibles out, turn them on. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Pew Bible somewhere near you, a little dark blue Bible. Get it, because we're going to be jumping all over today. We are going to conclude our kind of three week series on the covenant of Abram or Abraham. So the first week, we just oriented ourselves the gospel according to Abraham. In you, Paul would rather later write in Galatians 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, was the promise to Abram. 
And Paul says the gospel was preached way back then. The second week, we introduced this concept of the covenants that is new for some of us. Others of us have a, a little bit of familiarity with them, but it's about as far as if I were to say, explain how a car works. You're like, ah, well, I know you turn the key in the ignition and turn it on. Past that, I'm fuzzy, right? All right. So that's some of our working knowledge of covenants. And so we introduced it, got oriented to the covenants. Really, all of Scripture is a story. The story of a single promise of God to redeem humanity from their fallen estate and how he brings that promise to pass. That promise echoed way back in Genesis 3.15. You shall bruise his heel, and he shall bruise your head. It's all the story of a single promise. So we explained a covenant is a relationship of oaths and bonds and involves mutual thoughts, not necessarily equal commitments, So, Or more simply, your familiarity with covenants is inherent. If you, Everybody hold up your left hand. Left hand, hold it up, hold it up. Now look at your ring finger. Some of you who are married will have a ring on that finger. And if you aren't married, you don't put rings on that finger because it is the finger. You may put your hands down. It is the, some of you have your hands up the whole sermon. My shoulder's getting tired, Pastor, right? It is reserved for the sign of the covenant, the covenant of marriage. We said all covenants or most covenants in general have three echoes, a promise, a condition, and a sign. And so if we're just going with the covenant of marriage, most, not all, have this, right? There's some unconditionals, and there's, there's different types of covenants, but in general, marriage also has a condition. What is that condition, the covenant of marriage? We say it in our vows. Till death do us part, right? That's the condition of the marriage covenant. It's over when you die. Right? So we see, so likewise, there are covenants in Scripture that God makes with man. We saw contracts are more other or self focused. I get this, you get this. I get this, you get this. Covenants are others focused. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Or in other words, I am yours and you are mine. Again, don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Even if you're just here for the first time, we talk a lot about, hey, come to Jesus, repent, come to Jesus, trust Jesus, and we don't pause and consider the fact that you're even invited. That holy God, creator, all-powerful God would invite fallen men and women into relationship with him. Praise God. It's all through Jesus, all through the blood of the new covenant. We'll talk about that. We covered briefly four covenants last week that we've encountered in Genesis so far, and those would be the Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, and we talked about the new covenant, even though that wasn't in Genesis, but we covered that. I mentioned it's virtually, it's important because it's virtually impossible to understand your Bible accurately without having a working knowledge of the covenants and how they relate to one another. It's almost impossible. I likened it to, where are all my algebra people again? Who loves algebra, math? Who are my math whizzes, all right? Right, there you are, right? Okay, 
There's only a few of us, the few, the proud. Okay? We likened it to the order of operations. Some of you will remember this. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, right? Pimmed us. The order of operations. We said because if you get the order wrong, even though your addition and subtraction might be correct, you will get the wrong answer. Are you tracking with me so far? So let's do some math in our heads, all right? Group participation. High schoolers should all win because this is most fresh for some of you. Others, you got to reach way back in there, okay? Brief, simple equation. Give, don't, don't shout the answer. Just get it in your head. 4 plus 3 times 2. That's it. Equals what? 4 plus 3 times 2. Simple. 4 plus 3 times 2. Everybody got the answer in your head? You think you got the answer in your head? Okay. There's two answers to this equation. There's only one right answer to this equation. 4 plus 3 times 2. The two answers are 14 or 10. And some of you are like, whoa, I got a totally different answer. <laughs> Either 14 or 10. The correct answer would be 10. 3 times 2, you do that first. Multiplication and division. 6 plus 4. Oh, 10. If you were to do 4 plus 3, 7 times 2 is what? 14. That's incorrect because you didn't multiply and divide addition subtraction from left to right. Okay? You, I think you got it now. Okay? So, in like manner, when the covenants happen, they unfold in Scripture, you might find yourself really frustrated when you're talking to somebody and dealing with something like infant baptism, the nature of the church, the end times, and you just might not be connecting. One of the reasons is because you're missing the foundational backbone of the covenant in Scripture. Your issue might not be a single particular text as much as it is how do the covenants relate to one another. So you might be accurate in uh, addition subtraction, but we might miss the multiplication and division first. And so we come up with two different camps. So we said it's kind of like that. We, we used, uh, let's see, I just mentioned it, baptism. We used some of the eschatological things. We used the nation of Israel as an example. Uh, it's, it's not just as simple as arguing over the meaning of the book of Daniel, Thessalonians, or Revelation. It's an issue of the relationship of the covenants and where we fall in that. You, you tracking with me? Okay. We're going to kind of, for some of you, you're just going to be like, dude, I picked the wrong Sunday to come. This is Chinese to me, all right? Just, just eat, take what you can get. I promise it will make sense later, okay? Um, don't, don't check out. So today, having said all that, I want to examine an overarching function of all the covenants, and if we have time, we'll trace them to current issues. If we don't have time, you'll just have to ponder that on your own over lunch, all right? You ready? Here's the statement. The overarching function of the covenants, all of them, is to glorify God by the unfolding of his plan for the redemption of his people. I'll say it again. The overarching function of the covenants is to glorify God by the unfolding of his plan for the redemption of his people. Or more simply, God upholds his glory by unfolding his plan and unifying his people. We're going to get three points to that end. God's purpose, God's plan, God's people. So 
So we're going to examine in the covenants God's purpose, God's plan to achieve that purpose, and God's people. We're going to cover the first two very quickly because we've been covering them over and over and over again in hopefully each of my sermons. So we'll go over those quickly, and then we'll get rocking and rolling. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Of everything I say this morning, these are the words of God. What we're about to read will be the most eloquent, the most powerful words that will be spoken this morning, period. These alone are infallible. I make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Skip over to Genesis chapter 15. A few chapters over. Genesis 15, and we'll be reading 1 to 7. This is a re-giving, a re emphasizing and an expanding of God's covenant in Genesis 12. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you make your name hallowed this morning? Would your name be revered and exalted and uplifted? Would you be glorified as we see that you are the faithful God who keeps covenant in his steadfast love for his people? And Lord, may your glory Cover the earth as the waters cover the sea this morning. Lord, there are some here who do not believe. There are some here who do not follow Jesus, who do not believe and trust in the works of Jesus on their behalf. Would you draw them this morning by your steadfast love? Call your sheep out. Lord, make this body one, that the world may know that you are in us, that many might see the gospel. Lord, do this for your name and your glory, I pray. Amen. All right, number one, we're going to go fast. You ready? But not too fast. Number one, God's purpose is his glory. So in the covenants, the, the overarching function is that God would be glorified. The reason why he made the nation of Israel, the reason why he called Abraham out from idolatry and made and promised to bless him was not because Abraham was special, but because God will be glorified. Isaiah 49, verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant Israel, 
in whom I will be glorified. God's purpose was to use Israel to display his very person among the nations, that, he would, that they would glorify him, and they failed miserably. Jeremiah 13, 11. So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, and a praise, and a glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Why did he create them? For his glory. In short, every act of God in history has been for his glory. God called out Abraham and created Israel with the intent that they would display his glory, but they were faithless, they broke covenant, and they failed. But God's purpose, nonetheless, is steady, and he is committed to upholding the glory of his name. Some of you here are like, dude, I'm just checked out, man. You lost me way back at glory, right? Check it out, all right? You just need to know this. You were created to glorify God. You will not be happy with anything else. Your life will be spent chasing the wind, chasing that which doesn't satisfy because you were made to know and worship God. That's the main thing you need to know this morning, if you're lost already. Know that you are made and created for the glory of God. You are currently, apart from Jesus, not glorifying God, not happy, not satisfied, but in Jesus Christ, God offers you himself, his very person, that you might know him for all eternity. Coming back. So that's God's purpose, to uphold the glory of his name. God's plan, point two, I told you we'd go fast. God's plan is redemption. How is he going to get glory? How is he going to uphold the glory of his name? He is going to show himself mighty in rescuing slaves. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins, God's going to redeem from that place. God set this plan in motion since the beginning. Genesis 3.15 I will put in between, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God's plan has always, always been to redeem a people through Jesus Christ from the destruction of sin and make them into a holy nation that would represent him accurately to the earth so that it would be fulfilled. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I was at the beach yesterday and I, I was looking like a fool trying to stand up paddle surf and I, you just, you look over, we're at Lani Opoco and you just look over and you see the waters just covering the sea. It's just powerful. It, it inundates everything and you feel so helpless amongst her and I thought, God said one day his glory is just going to cover this world, like the water covers the sea. Come, Lord, quickly. Do it. We want to see it. This has always been God's plan to redeem. This plan has unfolded. He didn't reveal it all at once in its fullness. It has unfolded through the covenants, all pointing to Jesus. 
all pointing to Jesus. Scholar B.B. Uh, Warfield, Benjamin Warfield, said it was like the Old Testament, that Bible, that old part of the Bible that you just read and you're like, dude, I'm way lost. If I was lost in here, I'm way lost back here, okay? That part of the Bible, he said it's like walking into a room with the lights off and you kind of bump into things here and, and you kind of bump in. You, you don't really know what it is, but you feel it. And with the coming of Jesus, he said it's like turning on a light, And you can look back and see, oh, that's what that was. That's what this was. We didn't know exactly what it was then, but now I see. That's what the coming of Jesus did with the covenants. And what we find when we go back, order of operations, we come to Jesus and we start to look back on all that was said. We see Jesus all over the place in the Old Testament. Abram, Noah, there's a judgment coming, but there's a greater ark. Who is that? Jesus. There's Cain and Abel, and Cain rose up and murdered his brother Abel, but there's one whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember? Jesus. All throughout, you'll see the the apostles and the Holy Spirit just pointing everything back to Jesus. God's plan has always been redemption. Number three. God's people united. God's people united. God's purpose, his glory, God's plan, his redemption, and God's people united. Now, God has always been on mission to redeem his people. This is where it gets interesting for some of you. This is super debated What I'm about to say, it's really heated. Some people divide over it. I hope we don't. Okay, I hope we don't. How you answer this question, this point gets at the heart of who are the people of God. You're like, wow, that doesn't sound really debated there. Get with it, you'll see. Who are the people of God? Are there two peoples of God? nation of Israel and the church? Or are there one people of God called the remnant of Israel then and the church now? The implications of how you answer that question are massive. You say, well, how's that? How's that? Some of you already know because I can see you like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I know where this is going to go. Some of you are like, dude, I've never heard this. Here's the implications, a few, of how you answer that question. I was driving on Putunene a few weeks ago, and I saw a bunch of people with signs on the corner of Putunene and Derry Road, and those signs said, we stand with Israel. You guys seen those signs? You guys seen that when you drive around? We stand with Israel. How you answer this question will impact whether you're out there on that corner standing with signs. Another way this impacts, how you answer this question will also impact whether you loved or hated the Left Behind movies. Nicolas Cage, right? 
how you answer this question, you're like, how does that happen? Because when you extrapolate out from the beginning to now the end, it affects things. It affects things, okay? So this is really, really debated. It affects everything. So I hope my answer for you this morning, I'm going to try and root it in Scripture. I hope my answer for you this morning, if you disagree, that you will be gracious with me as I have been with you and that you will check your answers, as I will with mine, against Scripture. I pray it's something we will not divide over, and I can't hope to give you a full explanation in the next 20 minutes or so. Okay, so there's a lot of things that you're just going to be like, you didn't even cover this. Or, you know, I know, <laughs> I know. But we're getting the ball rolling as we work from Genesis to the end, right? Trying to preach the whole counsel of God for you. And some of you, this might give you something to think about. Others, you just might, that's okay. You might say, Pastor Randy, you're just totally wrong. It's okay. I'll, I'll take, I, I very well may be. I'll give you that, okay? There are godly, godly pastors on both sides of these answers, many of whom I have been helped by. I'll give you some of them. You know them. Charles Ryrie, Dwight Pentecost, Hal Lindsey. Who else could we go with? C.I. Schofield, many more. Just keep going. Daniel Blazing, Bach. These, on the other side, I've got also other scholars that are super smart, help me a ton. Michael Horton, D.A. Carson, John Piper, many, many more throughout church history. So I pray that charity will stand. So, how are we going to answer this question? What's, what do I see Scripture as stating? The weight of Scripture lands on there being one people of God, one plan of God, and one purpose of God. One people of God not two, one plan of God, one purpose of God. Now, for those of you who see two peoples of God, Israel is not the church and the church is not Israel. Bear with me. I'm not going to cast off Israel entirely, okay? There's one people of God. Let's go. Let's get rolling. God's covenant with Abraham to make his name great and to bless all the families of the earth through his offspring, singular, not plural, through his offspring, ultimately refer not to Israel as a nation, but to Jesus, the descendant of Abraham. Who is Israel today? Is it the people in that little slot of land in the Middle East that there's a lot of fighting about right now? Or is it something else? Ultimately, it doesn't refer to Israel as a nation. It refers to Christ. The New Testament gives this answer. Jesus is the true Israel of God and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Here we go. One scholar points out the book of Matthew. I'm going to give you a few evidences, not all of them. The book of Matthew takes great pains to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Israel. 
The narrative of Matthew, check this out, structured such that Jesus is literally re-walking the steps of national Israel and proving that he is faithful in every step where they were faithless. Chapter 1, Matthew, it opens literally a book of the beginning of Jesus Christ. You're going to read it in the Greek, it's a book of the beginning of Jesus Christ or a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Oddly enough, the book we're going through this morning, the book of Genesis, also has a book of genealogies. It's actually broken into 10 sections, all marked off. These are the generations of blank. And if you were to read a Greek translation of Genesis and compare it to Matthew, it would have the exact same structure, the generations of Adam, the generations of Jesus. That's our first clue from Matthew, that he's seeing in Jesus a new beginning of the nation of Israel. Number two, second clue. His life is a display of the Exodus. Check this out. His life is a display of the Exodus. Soon after Jesus is born, what happens? Matthew chapter 2. He flees into where? Egypt. Why? To escape a jealous king who is going to murder all sorts of Hebrew babies. Where is the other place we see that in the Bible? Exodus chapter 1. And so Matthew can quote Hosea 11 verse 1, and God says, Out of Egypt I called my son. And apply that to Jesus and say, This is fulfilled in Jesus. But if you were to go and read Hebrew, Hosea 11 verse 1 today, you'd be like, this isn't a prophecy. This is talking about the nation of Israel and how God rescued them from Egypt, just like I saw Christian Bale. He did it, right? You would say that. It wouldn't look like a prophecy. But Matthew says, this is fulfilled in Jesus out of Egypt. I called my son. How can Matthew do that? Because Matthew is seeing Jesus as a fulfillment of the Old Testament types. All pointing to Jesus, the true Israel, the faithful son. Clue three, Matthew chapter three. Jesus enters the waters of baptism. You remember? Jesus goes to be baptized by John. Where did the Israelis, when God rescued his people out of Egypt, where did they go first? They ran and they went to the Red Sea. You remember, Paul's going to pick up on this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, and say they were baptized into the sea, into Moses. It was a type, a picture of baptism. And so Jesus comes from Egypt, and he goes and immediately is baptized, just like Israel. And whereas Israel was faithless that whole time, oh, they're going to kill us. Why'd you bring us out? You should have left us back. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Clue number four. Just like Israel, after they crossed the Red Sea, their type of baptism, where did they go after that? Well, those of you familiar will know they wandered in the desert for how many years? Forty years. Where does Jesus go right after he's baptized? Matthew chapter 4, into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted. And so, God in Matthew chapter 3, unlike faithless Israel, Jesus is the faithful 
true son of God, the offspring of Abraham. And God cracks the sky open at his baptism and says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, or whom my soul delights in, the true Israel, Jesus. Now, with Jesus as the true Israel then, that's, that's going to conclude, we could keep going, but you see the idea. This happens all throughout the New Testament. This is just everywhere. With Jesus as a true Israel and descendant of Abraham, how are all the nations of the earth blessed today? Right? Because here's what's at stake. Is God faithful to fulfill his promise? And in Abraham, he said, in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And what about the land promises? They were irrevocable. These are the the questions that arise, and these are good questions. You should ask these questions. These are good. How are all the nations of the earth blessed today? Is it through the nation of Israel? Ethnic Israel? No. It's through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, the true Israel, the faithful son to all the nations, and demanding everybody, Jew and Gentile, repent and believe. That's how the blessing of Jesus comes to all the nations. Even the cursed son and line of Ham, the cursed son of Ishmael, the rejected Esau, even they get to partake and become heirs, co-heirs of all the blessings of God in Abraham. Ultimately through Jesus, by faith in Jesus. Now, some of others, you're lost again, okay? You're like... I was good when you said I was good. Okay, now I'm lost again. I'm going to get you back on track. Here's what you need to know. You might feel like your life is cursed because it sucks. Right? It's hard. Like, I'm surprised the pew's not on fire right now. Okay? If you stay there long enough, it might be. But, no, I'm kidding. But in Christ, even those who are farthest away from the promise of the gospel can be brought near. You're not too far from the saving reach of God. It's not too far. That's what you need to know if you're just totally lost. You're not too far. Today, today he'll take you if you come. So who are the children of Abraham and who is Israel then today, if not ethnic Israel? Who are they? Galatians 3, verse 7. You, might, you can write down. If you're a fast puncher, you can follow with me. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith. Check that out. Who are the sons of Abraham? Who is Israel today? It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. So Paul's making this argument. It isn't circumcision made with hands, which was a sign of the old covenant. It's not circumcision made with hands that makes somebody a true Jew. What is it? It's faith in Christ. So Paul says, therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now check this out. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. Philippians 3.3, Paul says, we are the circumcision. It's another way of saying we are the Jews. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Romans 2, 28 and 29. Check this out. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Romans 9, Paul says, Not everybody who descended from Israel by birth is Israel. So just being born ethnicity-wise from somebody who's an Israeli doesn't make you a true child of the covenant. Not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but rather it is the children of promise who are counted as offspring. John 8, 42 and 44. I'm almost done. John 8, 42 and 44. After claiming to Jesus that their father was Abraham. Check this out. So there's some Jews following Jesus and they start debating. After claiming to Jesus that their father was Abraham and God, Jesus said to them, check this out. If God were your father, you would love me. I came from God and I am here. Check this. Jesus is, this is like a drop the mic and walk away moment. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. Whoo, drop the mic, Jesus, walk away, right? Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. If God were your father, you would love me. In other words, what is Jesus getting at? It isn't ethnic Israel that is the true children of promise. It is those who are by faith in Christ now identified because you are united with the true Israel as the Israel of God. That's the true Israel. Now, this is sufficient, I think, sufficient, not total or exhaustive, but to demonstrate that there is Good reasons to believe that the New Testament identifies the church united by faith to Jesus as the true Israel, as the people of God. That's why Peter, 1 Peter 2, he can apply a title, a passage, right from the Old Testament used to identify Israel to the church. You will be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. That was right out of the Old Testament talking about the nation Israel that God now says is the church. Now, there's a lot of questions still. What of ethnic Israel? Does she still have a role? So if that's the case, what about that nation over there? Do they still have a role? Yes, absolutely. And just in some, I can't get into all this stuff now. Just I just want to give this to you so you're not like, Pastor Randy's going off the deep, right? If that's your thought, okay? Yes, she does still have a role. One day, she will be grafted back into the olive tree when she returns and trusts Christ. And we will still remain one people, not two peoples of God. But yes, there is a role for ethnic Israel. 
What of the land promises? Is that spiritual or is that literal? I would say consider the land promises to be literally fulfilled and surpassed in the new covenant. Check this out. Everything about the new covenant is better than the old covenant. We have new promises, a new mediator, a better sacrifice. All of it superior to the old covenant. So old covenant promised land. In Christ, we are promised to inherit not just a strip of land, but the world itself. With a kingdom, a literal kingdom, that will never pass away. So does it have to be a either or, or could it be a both and? Could there still be a literal fulfillment of the land promises, but superseded and superior to the old covenant? Which brings up another question. This is now getting to practical implications for today. Do they have divine right to the land right now? Right? Because that's what the whole stand, right? Do they have divine right to the land right now in light of everything we've just seen? Answer. Israel as a nation has never possessed divine right to the land. Never, I repeat, never possessed divine right to that land as long as they are in a state of covenant unfaithfulness. You tracking with me? They have never had status to divine right in the land as long as they are breaking covenant. The land's promised to them. It's theirs unconditionally. And they will be in there as long as they are keeping covenant. That's clearly spelled out in Deuteronomy, if you don't believe me. And God has punished them many times when they break covenant. The Babylonian exile, the Assyrians plundering them, all over and over. Rome, all of it pointing because they are breaking covenant. So as long as Israel is a covenant-breaking people, they have no divine right to the land. I am not anti-Semitic. I love them. They should not, that does not give nations the right to plunder them or brutalize them or anything like that. They should be treated with fairness and compassion as other nations. We should pray earnestly. Paul said, my heart's and soul's desire for them is that they might be saved. That's our prayer for them. And Jesus said, when the builders rejected the cornerstone, Jesus, he said, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Matthew 21, 43. The primary way, brothers and sisters, that we stand with ethnic Israel is not by political movements. It's not by endorsing them no matter what they do because God said as long as we're on the side of Israel, we'll be blessed and as long as we're against them, we'll be cursed. That's not the idea. Yes, as long as we stand with Jesus, you will be blessed. As long as you stand by faith and you abide in his words, you will be blessed. When you come against Jesus, the cornerstone, you will be crushed. It's not primarily by political movements. It's by praying that her blindness would be removed. That her hardened heart would be softened. That she would turn even now and embrace her Messiah, Jesus. And it's by preaching that gospel to every nation under heaven that Paul said he hopes to make them jealous by seeing the Gentiles come. So, in conclusion, brothers and sisters, if you're lost again this morning, 
The implications of this, I could just keep going on and on. They're huge. They're massive. We'll address them in time. The main thing I want to close with this morning is you, friend apart from Jesus, you, friend, not partaker, not trusting in Jesus, you can be a partaker of the blessings and promises of God and Christ this morning. He offers joy, peace, rest for weary souls. Moms, are you weary? Chasing after the little ones, being awake all night? Maybe your children are walking in darkness? Know the promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to have a time of prayer now. I pray if you are, man, you're like, that's me. I'm I'm far away. The pew's getting hot. I'm about to catch on fire. Would you come this morning? Turn and trust Jesus and see you will never regret it. And follow him all the days of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is a difficult topic for us, and it is hard to understand. You said there are some things that are hard to understand. Would your spirit please give us understanding? But more than understanding, would it give us love for one another? Father, may we love those uh, as you have loved us. And Father, I pray that you would draw many to faith in Christ, that you would bless the mothers, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them and give them peace. Do this for your name and your glory. Amen.